This is it. We're closing out the non-holiday period. Next week is Thanksgiving week and we go into the holidays. We'll have lots to talk about through that time. We're planning some year-end episodes looking back at a lot of the big stories. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Laura Johnston, Lisa Garvin, and Layla Tassi, who all told me before the podcast began that they have big Thanksgiving plans. COVID be damned. We'll see how that goes, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I now I think I'm... idea. Yeah. No, Layla, your idea of everybody getting tests so you can test everybody before you sit down to dinner, that's a good idea, but now we're going to have a run on those tests. Good luck finding them. <laughs> I just remember John Houston last year talking about how they were all going to sit at their own family table, like, outside. And, yeah, I just don't think people are being creative this year. They're kind of like, either they got their vaccine and they feel okay or they aren't and they're not worried. Yeah, but there's two big factors that are different. Last year, there was no vaccine, so everybody was masking up and having intimate relation or intimate dinners, and kids weren't getting it. This year, everybody feels like, well, I'm, I got the booster, I'm good, and school kids are getting it. So the, there is the chance for quite a few breakthrough cases, I would think. We'll see. We're talking a lot about COVID, so let's get to it. Let's do a two-part COVID start today. What very bad threshold is Ohio about to breach in coronavirus cases yet again, meaning that the fifth wave of the pandemic is in full swing in the state? Layla, this is so depressing because we, we do have vaccinations. We do have people getting boosters. I don't think anybody saw this coming. I know. As a state, we're quickly approaching 500 cases per 100,000 people here in Ohio, but Cuyahoga County... Is already there, baby. <laughs> 526 <laughs> cases per 100,000. And that's more than five times the threshold for a community to be considered in a state of high transmission. But guess what? Summit, Lake, Lorraine, Medina, Portage, Geauga, they're even higher. For the second consecutive week, the state's rate has increased. The, S- the State Department of Health reported yesterday that Ohio's rate of, of COVID cases per 100,000 residents increased to 4963 That's up from 410 last week. For seven weeks before that, we had seen decreases, but now the Department of Health Director Bruce Vanderhoff says we are marching straight into the fifth wave just in time for the holidays. Yeah, I know. It's 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 really kind of petrifying. And the thought is that we turn the heat on. We've gone indoors. That is the general time when viruses spread. It's when flu season kicks in. But still, we do have lots of people vaccinated. Laura, we were talking before the podcast that one of the hardest things to figure out is how many of these cases are breakthrough, because the only way we count breakthrough cases is in hospitalizations. Well, the state keeps track of hospitalizations and deaths for um, breakthrough cases, people who are vaccinated but get sick anyway. And it's really small for both of those percentages. It's well below 10%. But at this point, I am curious of the total number of cases that we're reporting, the thousands and thousands every day. I don't know what percent are breakthrough. Yeah. And we all run in different circles and talk to different people. So anecdotally, I think we all have an experience with it. I've heard of people who get the breakthrough cases and it's like the worst kind of flu. They're in hell for two weeks. They're not going to die and their lungs aren't torn to shreds permanently 
but it's horrible. But then I guess you've also heard of people that have gotten it and it's very minor and they dance right through it. Those are all breakthrough cases, but we don't know. I mean, that's that's what's so scary about going into Thanksgiving is you don't know what the results might be. I mean, the one thing I do know is I don't want it in any way, shape or form. Absolutely. I mean, I think there are people that are getting breakthrough cases that wouldn't know if they didn't know about an exposure and so get themselves tested. I think right. there are people walking around that have COVID. Layla and I were talking about this on the phone the other day. There are people walking around with COVID who have no idea that they have COVID. And, and you know, all the people that are taking the at-home tests that they get at the library, they're not necessarily reporting those. So the numbers are skewed. They're not specific. They're not accurate. It just feels dangerous. I wanted Go to ahead, mention, Lou. so in the last couple months, I've had two COVID tests negative let me just say thank thankfully <laughs> but uh i've had them done at the sort of the drive-through pharmacy window and it, when you set that up they ask you uh if you've been vaccinated and so i wonder doesn't that doesn't that if i were to test positive wouldn't that flag me as a breakthrough mm. case in the data but no but, but it doesn't seem like we can get that data that's mm. the problem okay. is we just don't know when when bruce Han- vanderhoff says we're approaching that 500 threshold, we don't know. I mean, obviously, the bulk of them are going to be non-vaccinated, non-booster. And the booster, you know, from what I've read of the studies, the booster really does help you avoid it altogether. But, you know, the, the virus has evolved. It's weird. I kept hearing months ago that they were going to alter the vaccines to deal with the modern iterations. And now there's predictions that by next spring, it'll have evolved to a point where it's completely... Uh, 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 it can defeat every vaccine that it that it will not be effective anymore. And you keep thinking, well, but this mRNA vaccine, you can change it and and make it work. But we have seen nothing about that of late. I don't know. I just feel like we're on this precipice heading into the time when everybody gets together. And because they couldn't get together last year and people are vaccinated and feel safe, the way Laura said when we started, that they're going to get together in big numbers and it's a it's a big mystery about you know, how that goes i also you know laura and i were talking about this the other day too there's so much pandemic fatigue especially among parents even parents who have been conscientious about the pandemic up until now are starting to you know really let their guard down let their kids play with other friends in their homes without masks in close proximity to one another. And I think that could be driving the uptick that we're seeing of cases in schools. The schools are taking all the right precautions in many cases, but they're still seeing these numbers go up. It's community spread that's driving that, and it's pandemic fatigue that's behind it. I'm almost certain. I mean, we have a story coming out this weekend by Bob Higgs that says that we've seen we've seen this spike across the region in, in schools um you know chris in, in your wife's district solon right solon that's where she teaches yeah, they, they you know a bunch of kids in if, you know the district reported 47 cases among students just in the first in the first three weeks of school but then those numbers had subsided there was a seven-week stretch where they reported only 42 cases well in just the week of november 8th 32 cases were reported and that's yeah, i know that's it's, an, it's, it really it's, it's why we looked at it. It's my wife was turning to me every night saying, wow, we got three more cases or we got this many more cases. And it's like, right. hey, these are kids. What's going on? No, I, it, right. Which is, but you know, you say it's pandemic fatigue. And I think, what if it were Ebola? Would we have know, Ebola but, pandemic fatigue? But I mean, it's really it's, hard. You know, it's, it's so hard when your kids want to socialize and regain some normalcy and 
you know, you think it, you, there are all these rationalizations that go through your head like, okay, well, this is our neighbor who we are in a bubble together. No, you're not really in a bubble. You know, people have the, the idea of like a pandemic bubble. It's not a hermetically sealed bubble. You know, the, your neighbor is going to work and exposed to all sorts of other people. It is, but, but you know, your brain wants to, to cling to some shred of of normal life especially for your kids and when especially you know our kids have have now gone out and gotten their first vaccine and in their mind this is the beginning of returning to a normal life how are we going to turn to them and say actually get ready to wear your mask for the rest of your childhood and um (laughs) you know it's it's just becoming hard harder 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 but that might but but that might be the normal for 10 years it may be 10 years before i gotta invest in more masks man like (laughs) becoming like threadbare at this point (laughs) last year i put my holiday mask like my plaid ones i was like putting them away with the holiday decorations i was like well i'm not gonna need these next year and i'm like well i'm glad i saved them think we're gonna need them for the but, long haul and the haul. thing is all of the things that were canceled yet last year all of the city tree lightings and the hot chocolate at the businesses and all of the things that went away are back this year so if we have this spread all of these people strangers are going to be together there's caroling in my town okay like oh my yeah, well let's let's cross our fingers and hope that next week is not a super spreader you're listening to today in ohio Now that we know the extent of the fifth wave, what did an Ohio House panel do Thursday morning to block public health efforts to stem pandemics? Lisa, the juxtaposition of this in time is a jaw dropper. No sooner does does the Ohio Health Department say we have a serious fifth wave going on than our legislators do the right thing not. No, yeah, it's it's a pretty jarring juxtaposition, actually. Yeah, House Bill 218, as it's called, passed the House 58 to 32 earlier this week, largely along party lines, but it is not a veto-proof majority. So DeWine does have the option to veto it when it comes to his desk. Whether he will or not, we don't know, considering how he's flip-flopped on COVID responses over the last year. So this bill prohibits... K through 12 schools, colleges, and employers for mandating vaccines that are not approved by the federal government. Uh, it was originally introduced by Al Catrona, a Republican. Uh, can't remember where he's from, but it was originally introduced in the summer to exempt bars from the curfews that were imposed during the, the height of the pandemic. But this latest version bans vaccine mandates, and it allows several exemptions. There's the religious one, there's the medical one, there's also one called personal conscience, whatever that is, and almost anyone could probably claim that, and then also natural immunity from prior infection, although doctors kind of poo-poo that. They're like, "Mm, natural immunity is probably not as good as people think it is. But business groups immediately jumped on this, uh, the Ohio Chamber of Commerce being one of them. They said this is a wrongheaded policy. It's an invasion of employer rights to impose mandates if they so choose. And and Steve Stiver is the CEO of the Ohio Chamber of Commerce said it's kind of like communist China. (laughs) But Katrona, on the other hand, the bill's author said it, quote, protects the goodwill and the health care for all Ohioans. I don't know how it protects Ohioans' health care. Come on. It doesn't. And what, what really is interesting is the divide between what happened in 1918 and now. After the 1918 flu and all the damage it did, 
governments got together to say, we need to build policies that will stem this in the future. That's where public health boards came from. That's where quarantine rules came from. But, but our legislators today, so intent on appealing to the fringiest of fringe loons, are making policy that runs in the opposite direction. We're making it almost impossible to have public health rules just because they, they think this will help them win their primaries. And it's, it's, like, it's hard to think that 100 years ago we had a much greater sense of protecting ourselves and our children and everybody around us than we do today. This is a ridiculous law. This is blocking any kind of effort to help people. And, you know, you mentioned the immune system. You know, I, I, on Reddit, I look at the Herman Cain Award subreddit every day, and this is a list of people who were very public about being anti-vax who later die. And I can't tell you how many of them say, I trust my immune system more than mm. I trust science. And of course, they're dead because they did that. And it's, it's like, that's in law now? That's enshrined in law that you can say, well, I trust my immune system? It's not working. There's a lot of death because of the immune system not being able to hold this off. Well, and I'm most concerned about the expansion of, 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 of exemptions. I mean, personal conscience could mean anything. That means, oh, well, you know, I, what could you say? I don't believe in needles. I, you know, I mean, that's just an open-ended invitation for anybody to refuse a vaccine. It, it's just the we talk about it almost every day here. Our legislature is just completely cuckoo and not serving the interest of the people. The whole government structure seems to be failing the Ohio populace anymore. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Is the hijacking of Ohio's effort to block gerrymandering now 100 percent? What did the Ohio legislature do yesterday with congressional maps to complete the circle it started by abandoning its duty to voters with gerrymandered legislative maps? Laura, it's just sad that the voters spoke loud and clear and the people that are elected have just abandoned them. Oh, like like we just talked about, right? The whole state is just letting us down the way the government is running. Yep. Uh, four Republicans voted against this Republican dominant map, which hats off to them but basically all the republicans voted for it and it gives what would be a 13-2 split republican to democrat in the congressional districts obviously we're losing one congressional district right now we have about four four democrat 12 republican and this is going to increase the difference even though voters said we want a fair map we want competitive districts we want them to make sense we don't want mistakes on the lake and this is what we gave them, thanks to Bob Cup and Matt Huffman. Yeah, I mean, this is like apartheid. I mean, we have people that are in office that are not doing what the people want. They're they're just not listening. They're they. It's not in good faith. They, they, the voters spoke seventy percent saying stop this stuff, and they immediately went back. They made it worse. I mean, yeah. they're actually making maps that are more gerrymandered mm -hmm. than the ones that the voters went to the polls to oppose. And it boggles the mind. I mean, how do you how do you fix this? Because they are not representing Ohio at Abs all. Absolutely. Which is why these maps are only going to last four years if they even last that long. Obviously, they're going to be challenged in the courts as soon as Mike DeWine signs this. We assume Mike DeWine is going to sign it, but it hasn't happened as of this uh, Friday morning. Well, stop but there, though, because Nan Whaley wrote an op-ed that we published earlier this week. She's running against him as a Democrat, where she quoted him from his campaign, where he was adamant in saying he would he would perform the will of the voters on gerrymandering. 
He, I mean, he, if you read what he said, she called him out. It was a brilliant piece of work by her saying, this is what he said. So he has to veto it to live up to his promise. So his choice here is veto it and live up to his word and do the right thing, frankly, or don't veto it to be the party stooge and violate his campaign promise when he ran, which will be ammunition for anybody who opposes him. Right, exactly. And I think he's been incredibly fearful of getting primaried and he's kowtowed to this legislature ever since you know last spring I guess once or yeah like six seven eight months ago when he started the pandemic kind of ending is what he thought I I feel like he started really strong and then all of a sudden his power was being taken away by the legislature and rather than fight it he just said okay I I don't want to offend my fellow Republicans I mean he could have been doing his job all along as part of the Ohio redistricting commission he was one of the seven members and he hasn't done the right thing yet and I mean the whole Bob Cup Matt Huffman thing is crazy to me because they are just elected by a small group of people and they're both from Lima like how did our government get hijacked by two middle-aged white guys from Lima. I know. It's it's like it's one where when when history is finally written, I think historians will marvel at just how far astray the system has gone but by people who don't act in good faith. There was a time I think that people who ran for these offices wanted to to serve and and do things that help the public and they're not. This is all about power being drunk with power and maintaining power and, uh, and Ohio, sad day. we'll have to see what he does ohio's being held up as a national example now of extreme gerrymandering along with our friends in texas and florida i mean every time they mention extreme gerrymandering ohio's at or near the top of the list oh yeah. goody really want to be roped in with florida and texas it's like we got a an email from a listener who said they listen i think they live in new york now and they said makes me glad i don't live in ohio listening to your political chatter but i'm glad they're listening yes you're listening to today in ohio how does six ohio cities rate as in a new ranking based on treatment of lesbian gay bisexual transgender and queer people Layla, this is actually a bit of good news for for cities in ohio that they're mm-hmm. enlightened a bit and treating people with equity it is good news. The Human Rights Campaign Foundation, which is the, the educational arm of the nation's largest LGBTQ plus civil rights organization, they took a look at 506 cities across the United States and rated them on a scale from zero to 100 based on how well their laws, policies, benefits and services embody LGBTQ plus inclusion. And six Ohio cities are among 110 across the nation that earned the all-star designation. And those include Akron, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, and Dayton. They received the highest possible score, 100%. And Toledo got 98%. Lakewood got 81%. And Dublin got 43%. The, the report noted that despite anti-LGBTQ plus legislation that passed in 40 states, the, the nation's cities are undeterred in doing what's right for their constituents. They're embracing inclusive policies like ensuring that transgender city employees and transgender family members of city employees are able to access the health care that they need and that all single occupancy restrooms are available to people regardless of gender 
still, however, advocacy group Equality Ohio says that Ohio still lacks some fundamental protections. They would like to see passage of a bill called the Ohio Fairness Act, which would clarify that discrimination based on a person's sexual orientation or gender identity or expression is illegal in Ohio. And specifically, it would protect against employment discrimination, housing discrimination, and discrimination in accessing any basic goods and services. So, there is a good there's great news here but on the other hand you know still a ways to go as a state i got to tell you though even as of 10 years ago i would have never been able to predict we'd get this far i'm still struck that this is these developments have happened in my lifetime coming from where we were there's always more road to travel but it is it's just a good moment to know that we've done a bunch of things right to treat people as human beings mm-hmm. So you're listening to Today in Ohio. What rather striking prediction are the people who run Cleveland Hopkins International Airport making for Thanksgiving weekend? Lisa, I almost made this a part of the COVID discussion at the beginning of the podcast (laughs) because I can't help but think this is going to help spread COVID. What is the prediction? It's It's a huge crush of travelers expected at Hopkins Airport starting today and through next Sunday, the 28th, which is the end of Thanksgiving weekend. They're expecting 280 thousand travelers during that time. That's up 137% from 2020 when they only saw 118,000, which of course nobody was traveling then, but it's still up 8% from 2019 in the pre-COVID era. So this is a huge jump. People, you know, have cabin fever. They figure everything's cool. They're going to travel. So I think that's what's going to happen. They're actually saying that they could see 7.1 million passengers for this year compared to only about 4.1 million in 2020. And it's higher than they predicted. So, uh, but masks are still mandated on planes and in terminals. So people will be masked, but there'll just be a lot, a lot of people. The busiest day will be Sunday, the 28th as people return. Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving is the second most busy. And then Tuesday, the day before the day before, is also going to be busy. They're telling tra- travelers to get there at least 90 minutes, probably closer to two hours before their flight and be ready to stand in line. And they're really hoping because there's weather systems that may not affect Cleveland directly, but it could be a domino effect because we do have weather coming in during the week that could affect that. So yeah, if you're going to the airport, mask up, be patient and be ready to wait. Although TSA says they're ready for the crowds. The idea that this will be greater than before the pandemic boggles my mind. I don't know, Layla, do you you have any attraction to getting your three kids together, your husband going into a crowded airport and sitting on a crowded plane? Not without a hazmat suit. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine anything I'd want to do less uh, next week than be in an airport and on an airplane. But clearly a lot of people will be. We'll have to see if their prediction comes through. I, I had not realized the weather was could be such a big factor, mm-hmm. although it's November, so of course the weather could be a factor. Interesting interesting story on Cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why is Dave Yost suing to overturn an immigration policy that begins next week? Is he trying to block Canadians from crossing the border? I mean, it is Ohio. What's he up to, Laura? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not about the Mounties swimming across Lake Erie. We're looking about... The southern border, which, you know, you could think of as a dog whistle to some Republican base. But Yost is arguing that the new federal immigration policy that's going will actually halt all 
nearly all deportations and increased crime and drug trafficking in Ohio, and that it would force the state to to spend limited resources on illegal immigrants who live here. Because basically, the guidelines for the enforcement of civil immigration law that was announced in September and goes into effect in November 29th call for refocusing resources on apprehending and removing non-citizens only who threaten national security, public safety, and border security. So basically, the people who are living here making a life, like, you won't have to go after them. And so that being an, an individual that you're not a citizen is not a removable offense. And Yost is against that. It says it violates federal law and that that he, they're afraid that the government will be spending more money on services for these people who shouldn't be here. You know, what drives me crazy about Dave Yost is he's a smart guy. I mean, when you sit down across from Dave Yost and you chat with Dave Yost and he's not doing this kind of stuff, he's a fun guy to have a conversation with. He's got wit. You know, he's a music lover and a musician. He's, he, he, as a person, he's a fun guy to talk to. So what makes it aggravating is he knows this is patent nonsense, that for the attorney general of Ohio to be going to court over the southern border is just nonsense. It's it's pandering in its worst form. And, and I don't know why. He doesn't need to do this to get votes. He's a Republican in Ohio that that is pretty well liked. And he's done some lawsuits that are that are really kind of daring and interesting. But then he does stuff like this and you just roll your eyes and think, you know, why? Why do you have to go this road? Do you have any self-respect? That is a very good question. I, I mean, I, I do think it's playing to the base. We just talked this week about how cool you thought the Facebook lawsuit was saying, you know, using an argument of economics to basically say Facebook did a bad thing and we should we should be suing them, which is a really interesting argument. But you're right. This is the same thing. They've been saying this for years. And under the Trump administration, you know, there was a lot more emphasis on, on deportation in the southern border. I, I know it's just that's not an issue for Ohio. You can do all sorts of logical gymnastics to make it sound like this is an issue here. It's not. Maybe for the people in Ohio who watch all the nonsense on Fox News, they might somehow think immigration is a problem. But we have far bigger problems in Ohio. And for him to do this, it just it's one of those you go, man, is he ever just going to do the right thing? Yes, we have far bigger problems in Ohio, including the districts that just got drawn. Right. right. Or the labor shortage. You know, how? Team Neo has a gloomy prediction for anyone who wants to attract more players to Ohio. What is it? Layla, this is the bad news side of the podcast. We had a good news side about how LGBTQ people are being treated, but this is the bad news side for the future if you're an employer looking to come here. Yeah, we should have started with the bad news. (laughs) But yeah, the the Aligning Opportunities report released Thursday by Team Neo says that not enough Northeast Ohioans have the education they need for the most in-demand jobs in our region, and that that gap is just going to get worse in the next several years. It says that 65% of Ohio's workforce will need to have a two- or four-year degree or a trade school certification by 2025 to meet our labor demand. In Northeast Ohio, only 37% of the population meets that mark, and 173,000 people have dropped out of the labor force in Ohio in the past couple decades, and that really exacerbates this problem. The healthcare 
industry, for example, they need more than 22,600 entry level positions to be filled, but only about, you know, less than 15,000 people earned the, the needed degrees for those jobs in 2019. Part of the problem is that Northeast Ohio doesn't retain its graduates. Just 47% of, of Ohio Northeast Ohio graduates stick around. Uh, just improving that to 57% could keep more than 3,000 educated workers here, including about 450 with four-year degrees in healthcare. So T. Neo also points to gaps in equity and the, and the barriers for people of color to earn a college degree and the lack of minority-owned businesses in Northeast Ohio. Only 6% of businesses in the region are minority-owned. Both Black and Hispanic Northeast Ohioans earn bachelor's degrees less often and, and on average have lower median household incomes. So, you know, the report, you know, the report highlighted a few companies like Metro Health and Truck Corporation LLC and and Park Place Technologies that are working to diversify their workforces. And they mentioned that on-the-job training, trade schools and apprenticeships are helping create a pipeline into industries that are in need of workers. In many of those industries, skills are more important than college degrees. So there's a reason to be hopeful, but it will take some innovation to turn around this trend for sure. And we did talk earlier this week about a program by the Cleveland Schools and the Cleveland Foundation to prepare a whole lot more students upon high school graduation in the district for the jobs that are open. I don't think that was figured into this study, but there is work being done. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's end on a happy one. Reporter Mark Bona is back with his annual Thanksgiving tradition. What is it? How long has he been doing it? And how much money has the subject at the center of it all raised for a charity since 1990? Laura, this is Mark Bona's tour de force. He found this thing. He's publicized this thing. He gives up his Thanksgiving morning every year to go do it. Yeah, it's really impressive. This is a back it was a pickup football game that started in a backyard in 1990 now it's the serious fundraiser for the saint vincent de paul society and cancer charities and now it's even expanding eventually it's going to become its own nonprofit. it's going to expand the mission and and who it gives to but this game has brought in get, get ready for this amount 2.7 million dollars since it wow. became a fundraiser in 2005 wow. Yeah, I mean, huge. It's bringing in $416,000 this year. And they have six teams playing multiple games on the grounds of the Meadows Family Company First Day School Supplies in Hinkley. The Highland High School Marching Band is going to be there. They took last year off because of COVID. They're going to have officials uh, on the chalk line field, family and friends. And the player's average age is about 27 or 28. They raise money themselves in order to play. Well, Mark Bona's preview of this is already up on Cleveland.com, and he'll be covering it Thursday. So check out the site Thursday and Friday to find out if they break the record yet again. And who won, it's a right? Long who wins the turkey string. ball? Right, who won the turkey <laughs> ball? Thank you for listening. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. We'll be back Monday to talk about the news of today and over the weekend. <laughs>